Welcome to episode two of Project Monolith, the new podcast series, Breaking Technology. With me today is a very special guest, author of the blog, Nation of Simulation, and a guest on podcasts such as the famous Australian Roundtable, Fakeologist, and JohnLeBond.com's member Skype and Discord calls. A big hello to Original Simulant. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Man, I'm doing great. Thank you for that introduction. It's only short, but sweet. So... I've asked you today, Original Simulants, because I've been really interested in your blog, uh, which I discovered not too long ago. And some of the work that's on there is fantastic. I don't know if you'd like to give me a, a just a brief introduction on where that blog came from. And obviously, just to explain to anybody listening is the fact that this blog started, or you put it together in about 2014. And... Being 2014 and we're now in 2019, that five years gap and some of the things that you you put down there are quite fascinating to say the least. And, you know, for me, going back five years, I really wasn't thinking about hardly any of the stuff that you were that you were putting down there in the in the land of the digital realm. So please just let us know really what your thoughts are on, on why that blog at the time and and what was going on in your mind? Uh, yeah, sure. At, so at that time, I had been back looking more into um, looking at conspiracy and stuff, but looking also more um, at the esoteric angle, and then also at technology and the kind of overlapping domain that all these that these three things occupy. And I had I was trying to think what I at the time uh, media fakery was like becoming much more on my radar with like events and things and. And just the unreality of certain aspects of them. And actually, actually, I shouldn't say on the radar. It had been on there for a little while, but it was to the point where I wanted to, well, I had kind of surpassed the people around me and I was not really able to communicate with people about it, you know? So there'd be some kind of thing. And then in some mainstream story would be some fantastical claim. And I would, you know, ask if, uh, you know, work or my friends or something, if they, if they thought that those you know, the finding the passport in the inferno or something was 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 even really plausible. But at this point, by this point, uh, it, it had gone too far past that where they just didn't even want to talk about it at all. Like when they see me coming, they just turn the other way kind of thing. So I needed that kind of an outlet to, and I was also still kind of in the fear though a little bit too. I'd come through a lot of it, but I still had some. So I wanted to, I wanted to be able to, to do this in a way that where I wasn't making accusations. You know, I wasn't saying like, uh, this is fake. This is that. You know, because uh, I didn't know, but I wanted to explore it. And I thought the best way to do that would be to take the, the kind of popular language at the time, which was a, lot, was a lot about simulation theory, and to kind of incorporate that as well. So I kind of envision myself as the way I still kind of envision myself is kind of like a psychonaut in the, in the psychosphere. And so that I could, a bit detached, have like a, a character, a persona or something that, you know, kind of investigates these things from a purely theoretical standpoint where, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be making claims as far as like authoritative. I know this is the case because of this. It would be more just an examination of the information that's available. And then always drawing back to the original me, you know, if I, so I, so for example, I might say like, uh, if I lived in this world where this event happened, maybe these would be my questions, you know, or like, what would the answers for these things be if I were there? How would I feel if I was this person or something? So that would be basically a simulation, you know, you're simulating the a different existence. I found that uh, when I started to, to try to, to write that stuff, it got so bogged down into explanations and like trying to lay out 
motivations and explanations that my my thinking was becoming more refined then. And I started to just write about that instead. And that was a long way to give you a, a long way around the block, but I hope it was. No, that's that's fine. I'm ju- I'm just really trying to put into perspective. I mean, it, obviously the the name original simulant as well. Going back to two. 2014 and into 2015 simulation theory wasn't really that much on my mind to be honest i think i must have read some information on the subject i know it, i know it has go, does go back quite a way but to me um, it was only not until somebody like elon musk started blagging on about it a couple of years ago really that it really come to the the forefront and even in the uh, in the app realm itself it wasn't really around but the other thing that obviously that strikes me as well is you're talking about simulation and simulation theory but you're not exactly meaning what elon musk would be talking about are you you're breaking it up into little segments or pockets of different things and fitting all sorts in there from what i can gather i mean how 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 long have you been aware of of simulation theory i mean is this it wasn't, as we know in like scientism and, and uh, computer science, it's no different than, than any other science. It's rife with scientism and um, cults of personality and stuff. So in all these fields, the definitions of things are pretty incoherent, right? Most of the most of the work on theories is done explaining, trying to explain what the theory even means. And that's true for everything. So I, I just grasped onto the word through through the idea of like the simulacra. Through like the, the idea of the meaningless, almost, in, well, inauthentic, right? Inauthentic, the inauthentic in the life. I was doing a lot of work in selfhood at that time, understanding like uh, personal understanding, as well as like thinking about the nature of thinking. And then thinking of these larger systems and stuff. When we talk about like the government or whatever, we're really talking about systems. When we're talking about those, one of the things I learned that was really effective was that if I could break things down into their smallest definition, or that it would be the most useful for me. If I could use as few words as possible to most accurately describe something, then that would be ideal. You know, that, that's where I'd be able to get some use out of it. At that time, um, simulation theory wasn't presented, like you're saying, it wasn't presented as some kind of uh, overarching narrative for all existence. It was, it had to do more with like the ideas of the inauthentic and the hype or the hyper real. So these things are, are confusing to existence In, inside the individual. They tend to inspire like existential crises until they're either, you know, obs- examined and, and dealt with and absorbed as into the, the whole self, or they're just like repressed and suppressed and emerge in other forms like neuroticism, and anxiety. So I knew that the real was what was important, but yet I was seeing so much of the inauthentic. And to me, the the inauthentic and simulation are, are synonyms. That's really what I was talking about. Um, at that time, and the idea of the simulacra, the simulate, um, the simulation of the simulation. Uh, this was, I was just at the right, you know, for me, it was just, I guess, the way all things happen to everybody in their life. But I just started to grasp harder onto the things that, even though other people didn't see it or say anything about it, or when I bring it up, they said it was didn't exist or was dumb. I felt drawn to it. It didn't matter to me if it existed or not. What mattered? It doesn't matter what they what they mean when they say the revelations of Edward Snowden on the news, and every freaking news station is using the word revelations. It doesn't matter that what they mean by it what mattered to me was that they were all doing it you know and so the meaning is something i would have to you know have to deduce for myself it's quite fascinating it really is is you're again we're going on to frameworks here aren't we and the way things are working and and clearly your uh, your mind was working very differently to a lot of other people's back then that's for sure and certainly is probably today as well but um, i i to- totally 
fascinated by by some of the stuff in the blogs. I mean, we'll go into in in a little bit. We'll go into a couple of the articles that you've got. But I, the one thought I would I did really want to ask you was we obviously we have just touched on this idea of the the whole of the earth being a, a simulation of some description i mean what what are your thoughts today on on that notion i reject it i mean i just don't i don't believe it i don't think it's i mean it, it gets into definitions game you know it's very it's constantly moving goalposts because if you can overcome i've found it, at least i should say i've never i haven't found a compelling simulation argument yet uh, I haven't found one that's going to, that presents any reason for if it were all a simulation. I haven't found one that presents any reason that if being able to determine whether it was a simulation or not uh, was impossible, why one ought to lean toward it being a simulation and that being better than it not. So, you know what I mean? That's just totally arbitrary. What I would just rather pick that it was authentic. If I get to choose, why not choose the, the one that I think is better? But I've never found one that's uh, compelling because ultimately, if, if it's impossible to know, then it's impossible to know. But I don't think the nature, I don't think like the ontological position of our being, which is to say, I am here right now, you know, I am me. Like, I don't think those are unknowable things. You know, I think that the very, the very simple is, you know, if you can't have that, then what can you have anyway? And who would be running it? Like, I shouldn't say who, but there must be some larger system, you know, on top of it. The simulation didn't come out of nowhere because it's unnatural, right? It all goes back to nature and stuff, but it wouldn't necessarily be so much of a, a simulation then as much as it'd be like a, uh, I don't know, like, well, a simulation is a program, but it, you know, this, it assumes the computer, like the, the, the machine uh, archon or something, the people predate, you know, the human, well, the human, the, the machine comes after the people. So how it would be able to capture everything or I don't know. It just doesn't pretty incoherent. I think it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Like, no, I don't, I'm totally, totally with you on this. And, you know, I know that on a certain other website that we, uh, we're acquainted with the usual answer from certain people is that what, what is it simulating anyway? So there you go. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's, so that's that, a brilliant, like a simulation of what? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, so it's, it's really, you know, just an, another story really. And and I can I can see where you, you you know you can liken a lot of what goes on to two different programmers, but it's it's a bit of a hard well, one really to to swallow. Is there? It? it would be it would have to encompass everything, including like well, yeah, what would be the limits of it? What are the upper bounds? And what's the purpose for its necessity? What necessitates it? When, as we'll probably get into later, it doesn't take much data to to simulate to simulate simulations, you know, and you don't to, to very big ones before they start like yielding these cascading logic logic trees it's like you don't you don't need to run the whole simulation out in full you don't need to have my whole life have me have my whole life you know it could be uh it doesn't have to happen i mean it's and it and in fact it's kind of a, a waste of resources if things would be run as we know them now you know what i mean it, it imprints the the hologram it would be like on top if, if our world in the simulation used resources we believe then you know if the outer world that runs the simulation used resources too then it would be wasteful you know, there's no point in it because you can determine all the all the possible positions from just from knowing where the pieces are in the beginning. There's only so many places they can move. There's only so many things that can happen. You don't need to have them to have these encounters and then see what happens from that. You can already predict what happens because only so many things can happen. And you can just beat it down with brute force calculations until probability overtakes it. And it's going to yield some kind of non-arbitrary statistical likelihood. I, I don't know. I mean, it's just totally with you it's good good answers and what what was still on simulation the only thing i, I was thinking about asking you because obviously in my last 
episode that was broadcast uh, I, I touched on quantum computers and said they were a hoax in the app realm quantum computers are always linked to cern now in my mind i haven't i haven't actually took the time to look properly into cern the same as I have with quantum computers, but with CERN, from what I understand, obviously it's one big ring magnet uh, attached to computers. And essentially what all that seems to be happening is, is that they are running a simulation of firing particles around this big ring magnet. What would you, what would your take be on the, on the situation at CERN and rituals of, don't forget that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. The, uh, you know, the and ritual, if we could actually kind of hit that point first before we go to that. Because go at that time, uh, rituals are in themselves um, almost always they're, they're simulating something, you know, they're like these coming these um, these rites of passage or these the traditions. There's some kind of they're they're usually rooted in some tradition. Right. So these were for people, human beings, you know, in order to make meaning of their lives, in order to have to develop it like a healthy adjusted self, uh, self-concept and self-identity, which isn't utterly dependent on ideas of like belonging to groups or something, then an ideology, then these like certain touchstones in one's life marked meaningful transitions in the past, or at least that's what we're told. But I see, I seem to think it's true. The, the idea also in, in my blog was that it was okay to have simulations. You know, every Christmas we, you know, we in some ways simulate, you know, the birth of Jesus or something. That's not, you know, you're kind of running that simulation that's on, that's in the back program. And that's okay. Each of your own birthday is a recall to that, you know? And so, and the idea of going, doing something someone else did and people have done for time in memoria before you was a good way to establish meaning and to, to demarcate like uh, positions in one's life that, they could kind of look back on and then in in, in postmodern society when does when is a, a child not a, a child anymore and when is a, a boy a man and when is when do these things happen the goalpost in the last 40 years alone has been shoved significantly back and maybe it's accurate to be backward as now i don't know but the point is it's like it's all over the spectrum and people have never been uh, as far as i can tell had had such uh, deeply unfulfilled existences as they do now you can tell that because there are no shortage of ideological identity vampiristic identity groups for people to, to join and flock to and they are clamoring over each other to get to them the same thing with like antidepressants and stuff like that anything to make the real go away so where the simulation might have in the past been a good thing like the ritual or the coming of age or whatever like many things it gets commodified and fetishized people want to just live in that thing as instead of as a replacement instead of an enhancement for life it becomes the ideal replacement so that's so it's not it's not necessarily a good thing to to want to live in a simulation you know and say more yeah i'll certainly be looking at christmas differently from now on <laughs> christmas simulation fantastic so what are your thoughts on cern then with the is that okay. just a simulation or or is something else going on there so yeah the rituals you brought up that i'm trying to remember how we got there this um i don't know you know it's i it's so hard to say because if i don't trust the things the media says then why do i trust the things the media says about cern right I would tend to think maybe it's some kind of uh, data processing center, which probably has the purpose of one of its purposes probably has uh, to run simulations, but it could also be like a massive surveillance hub. I don't know. And, and I don't know that it's, that it's um, existence is even fully realized yet. You know, it, it might be still building its own architecture for its real purpose 20 years from now. You know, I, I really don't know what its purpose is, to be honest with you. So, have no I mean, speculation I think it, at all? Uh, I, I just don't. I, I mean, I, you know, I think they just, 
research facility, but I mean, doing what? All, everything they can with all that computing power. Uh, capturing data. I mean, it's like a data dump for the uh, the uh, telecommunications infrastructure around it. It all, you know, a repository. But I, I really don't know. I really don't have any speculation on it, no. I mean, what's ever come out of it? You, you know, it costs, I can't re remember how much it costs, but I'm pretty sure that everything that's ever been touted as coming out of CERN has later been said by the same people that, it, well, you know, that would actually... That Higgs boson or everything. I, okay, we didn't really find that. That was that wasn't true. You know what I mean? That's. I think they had to go back on pretty much every big find they've ever had. Who knows what they're even doing them? It's it, it is a little bit crazy. No, I, I know personally somebody who's actually visited the facility. So we've got verification that it does actually exist. It's not just a, a figment of the of the media's imagination. They had that fake murder of that girl, yeah. that fake. Uh, you know what I'm talking about the in front of the statue of Kali or whatever at at the. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The, I, yeah, well, the fact that that was they they admitted that that happened even is bizarre. You know what are they even? What's even going on there? The whole thing is bizarre to me. It's strange. But I, I mean, the the one thing that goes around the at realm is it is it on a true frequency radio? Forget his name now, but there's a guy who who promotes the thought that maybe they're trying to open a portal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interdimensional. Yeah. Yeah. The the uh, Delphi experiment. Part 2.0 or something. Bring forth the Antichrist and all this kind of thing. So that the thoughts that go round on on this thing is, are absolutely crazy, and there's just no real evidence for anything apart from the rituals themselves, which are highly strange. And even more strange is the choice of deities that they're using to, to promote the rituals too. Well, these people, you know, these people, so I'm going to get into this stuff now, but it's easy to like to grasp onto that stuff and just doom porn the hell out of it. You know, like I was just trying to be very conscientious of not scaring anybody about like technology or, you know, futurism or anything like that. But I found out that I was doing a bad job of that. So it's so easy to do inadvertently, you know, when, when you bring up concepts that people don't really think about. And it's it's kind of reckless in the act realm how, I mean, you can just go drum up any apocalyptic fucking mythology and, you know, attach it to any of these massive facilities. And they're not doing themselves any favors. And maybe it's all true. You know, maybe it is the freaking way in for the beast system or something. But, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. like, you know, one one might say, well, you know, what's the evidence of it? And, and what's the idea of it? Like the portal, the portal to what? You know, I, I don't know. Is that is the, is that even? Well, this just goes back to the quantum computer thing, doesn't it? Because, they, you know, they propose that they're essentially opening a, a mini portal on a, on a microchip, aren't they, for the quantum computer? So, you know, there is no absolutely zero evidence for, for this to happen. There's zero evidence that the place even exists. The thing they're opening a portal to exists, much, much less the, the portal op op opening technology. You know, like exactly, exactly, and this is it. It's pure fantasy, it really is. So, move on to just a few of your blog bits, then. And there was a couple of things that I pulled out of your your blog, and just wanted to see what you thought on them. So, the, obviously, the first one I had a look at was a piece called anthem anathema know who you are if i just read this first bit it's got this is the root of all information security which is truly the root of all civilization society culture whatever you want to call it it is trust it's not the hollow trust but verify the notion we've come to be conditioned to believe it is the trust one must have in themselves without which all other trust is impossible and without trust there truly can be no love to so put trust in yourself 
But what if you still hold the beliefs that are in opposition to love? My example was materialism, for instance. So what was it? What were you trying to convey, really, in this piece? What's really your main thrust behind this? I bet I spent fifty hours working on that that paragraph you just read because, until I refined it to the point where I was sure that it was obvious what I meant. And then it's not obvious at all. I'm just kidding. It wasn't fifty. It wasn't fifty hours. Uh, I would spend a lot of time trying to be very clear, you know. And then it's like, shit. I don't think I was clear. I made it even murkier. But uh, what I meant is that if you're on the, the journey of selfhood, right? What you're going to have to trust in yourself because if you don't trust in yourself, you're going to have to trust in someone else you're, or you're not going to have any trust, right? You, I guess you could have the uh, nihilistic approach, but you're either going to trust in authority and, and which authority you choose is, is always then falls under the arbitrary test, you know? But then you're still having to trust yourself that, you, that your trust in the authority is correct, you know? So I'm basically trying to get people, the reader and myself, if I ever forgot and revisited it to remember that the ultimately it's it's um, trust is going to be what you have in yourself first and what needs to be fostered in yourself and information th what that is with information is that we you know not knowing what you can believe necessarily and being often at least at that time like for me being kind of surprised at in, in some kind of like Mandela effect way almost I could think I knew something knew something about something and then kind of revisit it and realize not only did I not know anything really about it my idea about the dang official story was wrong too you know so I didn't know anything about it so the amount of um, trust we have in ourselves is that even if i'm wrong about the information even if i'm wrong about everything else uh, i'm not wrong about the trust and i'm not wrong i'm not wrong about trusting myself and no one and that no one can give you the trust but you you know no one can make you trust yourself so there's no like nowhere else to go like the, the trust but verify i think came from reagan and he said that uh, you know our, this new this new uh, accord or something we would, we would we trust the soviets but we still verify well it's clearly not trust is it you know if you trusted him you would do it you, you know it's, it's not blind but it is uh total otherwise it's anything less than that it isn't and it doesn't say mean that not trusting is bad but it isn't trust so in information security you need to know that you can trust your sources and you need to know that the information receive is correct and you know that where to go if you don't know what you don't know who to go to those kinds of things but ultimately it all collapses if you don't trust yourself so deep thoughts my friend very deep thoughts going back five years or so well the person you know the the idea of the the person this in the act realm there's so much like uh like I, I think i heard you and jlb talking about like the idea that if you if only they didn't do they didn't do this to them then you know all people would utopia basically right and you can just substitute all the the they them and, and but it's really not the case because people as much as they are mind controlled completely for many who aren't they adopt really counterproductive uh thought systems too their their idea of identity is is again like some kind of uh i should say unrewarding but like malignant, you know, some kind of malignant uh, construct, you know, so these, it's done on its own. I mean, no one makes you do that. I kind of knew that there wasn't this idea of like utopianism when once everyone wakes up, you know, that was just a, another fiction. But I was trying to figure out how to make the people who could self-realize how they could keep the faith when things get really, really hard to do so. You know, it's not like it's a choice between going right back to the matrix and freaking having your normie job back and voting for Bill Clinton. It's like you're on the path. There is no going back. You know, you, you'll never be back in that world. You'll never be. You can never go home again. And if that's you, what you want it to be home, it's it's going to be worse. You know, so you got to keep going and you got to you got to believe in yourself first and foremost because doubt will uh the doubt will lead you alive and you'll start believing in authorities and then th there are people who are authoritative on certain subjects of course but that doesn't mean that you know you have to surrender everything to them to explain your life to you and who you are to you but that's what's being sold everywhere you know identity politics identity everything so it's mostly for the people who i was hoping it was for the people who would read it to understand it i mean not understand it, but to get something from it you know to, to latch onto it and maybe be be comforted by it well 
Well, I certainly latched onto it straight away. It's it's quite a piece, and the words are it's almost poetry, almost. Almost, I've done it. The definitions game. Where's your iambic pentameter? I left it at home. But the the chimney—that's the uh, the chimney sweep, right? Song. Right. Yes. Chimney. So what have I got next? I've got the inform in information security hacking IT magic with a K. Again, whatever you choose to call it, you must never ever lose sight of who is who it is you are deep down inside your soul's chimney. When things get sticky, you're all you've got to rely on in there. And if you don't trust yourself. You'll never make it out, certainly not with your sanity. So, yeah, I'm going to ask you to explain your concept of a soul's chimney. How much exactly were you aware of Magic with a K in 2015? Because I can say that back in 2015, my awareness of Magic with a K was very limited, to say the least. And I am absolutely gobsmacked by your words here. Uh, on Crowley and magic. So please tell me your concept of Soul's Chimney and, and how much you were aware of this magic in 2015. Well, I was aware that since about 2013 or so, um, I become really aware that while I didn't necessarily believe in magic, other people seem to really believe in it, you know? And some people, and these weren't just like fringe lunatics, they were some seemingly well-respected people, uh, and especially people in the technology domain. So whether, I mean, I, I don't know that they really believed in it because I didn't, you know, they were out there talking about drawing circles and stuff, but a lot of the language they used harkened back to that, you know? And, and at that time also, I found that, uh, I found that if I didn't know what a word meant, if I didn't really, really know that I knew it, I would look it up. So in doing that, I was seeing all these like etymologies and how much of this stuff traced back to supposedly these like art, you know, these archaic, archaic kind of philosophies and, and uh, systems. And and then there's that famous quote about the uh, to any uh, su- su- sufficiently advanced people or whatever, you know, technology is indistinguishable, indistinguishable from magic. And I really started to begin to understand what that meant when I saw almost through just personal revelation or something that the way that the data could be, could be massaged and collated once it was captured, once I really dug into the Edward Snowden story. So this thing reveals all this stuff about the Snowden affair, reveals all this stuff about capturing data and processing it and where it goes and who's doing it and why. And for many people, it was, it was just completely overlooked. But for me, I kind of realized that uh, that if you could if you capture all this actual user input, then you could form a model based off it. And if you had a, if you had everyone's input, more or less, you, can, you could model the world, right? So when you're modeling the world, making world models, you know, you can monkey with it in a way that's pretty indistinguishable from magic. You know, you can make people hallucinate or uh, imagine, I don't know, maybe make people isn't right, but you can you plant the seeds that would that, that could lead people to make assumptions about things they see or whatever that aren't actually true, but they can't necessarily overcome consciously because they're unaware of the, of the way the technology is interacting with them and that they're interacting with it. So in a lot of ways, this is magic, right? So that was, and I, and I saw a lot of uh, darkness in that to be honest with you. I didn't see a lot of benefit out of it because so much of its application appeared to be in uh, manipulation and coercion and like uh, secret nudging, you know? It didn't seem to be very, like if you, if you could magically mind control everyone, then why not magically mind control the world to be better? Why why did things necessarily not get better? Why were they somewhat worse? Well, this is the big question, isn't it? But, you know, you, what you're touching on here really is, you well, you've gone one step in front of what the app realm sees anyway with the TV and, you know, 
know all the all the media going back for the last uh, hundred years so it's yeah, your concepts just pushed forward a little bit further haven't they but with the data collection and then to the extreme so what when we go if we to tie this into the soul streaming thing it was the our our positive self-view and stuff and our feelings of worth are, are really like the soul is the repository almost of those you know it doesn't come fully stock right it's it's not like uh we're not kind of walking into every feeling every you know every day we don't put it on and walk into all these things that we're about to experience it grows you know but as the it's also kind of like the spark in the fire so as if the body were kind of a, a bit of a chimney in an analogy then the the soot and the stuff has to uh, it accumulates through the through the sides and the, the top of the chimney so the, the hotter the fire right it's gonna it's gonna burn uh, burn fire. it's gonna make more smoke i guess and these the, the psychic chimney kind of ha- or the soul chimney has to be kind of cleaned out periodically to avoid combustion so you got to kind of go back into yourself again all this uh, profound self-work but you kind of realize that it's still as well as a, a process of going forward you also have to go back in uh, down to the very beginning and start cleaning it up again and work your way back out to the top to make sure that you stay psychically and psychologically healthy and adjusted as, as best you can because if you don't it's, it's just no, no one can accumulate all that pollution and operate it in any kind of beneficial or, or positive way you know we, we still live in the world we can't be completely separate from it no matter how much we are alienated from it when you're down there re-questioning all these things that you taken as true again you know you, you got to just trust that you were right when you did that before and not keep re-examining yourself over and over again you're going to get stuck in a, in a, a feedback loop that's going to be very difficult to overcome it occurs to me that maybe to the answer to a definition would, would be the soul's chimney being closed off and the 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 word insanity comes to mind so very strange so just one of those flying thoughts coming in there anyway so so like what, the like the flu being shut you mean in the in the just yeah the, the yeah billowing. yeah 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 you're uh kind of like uh absolutely lost touch with with the natural and the real but insanity is uh what's his name said uh famous psychologist said insanity is a perfectly normal response because eric Fromm said insanity is the perfectly normal response to modern society modern civilization you know it, like it's amazing more people aren't insane it, because of the conflicting constantly conflicting input you get from media and from the people who are controlled by it. everything is opposites isn't it and i think that's one thing again that this this thing with with opposites no matter what you look at every everything all the information that you're given is is always opposing what appears to be the actual truth the dialectical yeah yeah well it's always presented as dialectics at least and, mm. uh, but so we've actually got what's this so we, without it you exist only as another utterly replaceable nondescript point in an ever fluctuating spectrum of the usefulness to liability equation it's impossible for most to consider who the chimney sweeps might truly be if they understood or perhaps they'd see how important it is to be in glad company after all and then that takes us to your song quote of chim chimney chim chimney chim chim sweep is as lucky as can be was it when there's hardly no day nor hardly no night there's things half in shadow and which is the the verse that i picked on which has a, an awful lot of meaning for sure absolutely it's uh sherman brothers wrote that song for mary poppins the film and uh i'd always loved it you know it always just resonated with me and then as we talk about sinks you know at jlb uh, and here i uh, was home one night after working and my wife said that song always reminds me of you i'd already been obsessed with this thing right but i, I kind of keep my obsessions i try to keep them a little bit secret 
so that I don't, you know, dump that crap on everybody else. But so she says, you know, this reminds me of you the way he says uh, at the beginning that I choose, I become a painter, you know, but the way I choose me bristles with pride. Yes, I do. Broom for the shaft and a brush for the flute. So that was like a big sink moment right there too, which is in that instance, before I'd written that piece was kind of like a, the last little cog to fall into place to tell me to just to, to go forward with it. You know? And that was, and that's what I did. And here we are. But the, the part, yeah. So the, the hardly no day and hardly no night. Well, what does it mean to you? If I could ask you. It's, it's kind of like play on reality for me, to be honest, totally. It's like, you know, kind of a, a brief description of, of the workings of the mind, to be honest. So when there's hardly no day nor hardly no night, the thing's half in shadow and halfway in light. So essentially you're washing away your belief systems with it. <laughs> this is what, what I'm I'm picking up from it. Everything you're looking at, everything you're discovering, whichever way you're walking, everything's in half shadow and halfway in light. There's no black or white, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's really profound, isn't it? And and to find that in a song that's written for a children's film, again, it is a Disney film after all, so I shouldn't be surprised, should I? You know, when we left Disney World a few months ago, or maybe it was two years ago, now that I think about it, when we first moved here, my mom had said, as we drove away, she said, boy, that old Walt Disney sure brought a lot of children, a lot of happiness, you know? And I'm thinking of like some prick in the act realm trying to dump all over Walt Disney, you know? Her mom sums it up right there, doesn't she? What this guy, you know, what did some, some, so many of some of these critics have, been, have ever done for anybody, but humorously enough. No, I, 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 uh, I can totally see see your point on, on this as totally and uh, I, I can say that two younger daughters have had many, many hours and hours of Disney and I can't see any harm that's been caused so there you go much like in dialect so we, we it's so easy to fall into it but it, maybe there was a lot of bad I don't know what the truth of her statement was didn't affect that you know did it and so much of the act realm posits everything as a like dialectic but you know only this only the strong survive Thunderdome two yeah. concepts enter no one wins everything's freaking uh, who learns from that but the, the the things happen shadow and halfway in light it's like the purgation process a bit too like you can be as we're like in the kind of uh underworld almost you can you can have a good attitude about it and find some joy in it or you can be my you know mired in sorrow and uh and that's not always necessarily a choice either i mean some people have to be in that sorrow they just can't help it you know terrible things have happened to them but that wasn't me. You know what I mean? I couldn't have, I couldn't onboard their thing. I couldn't clean their chimney out too. You can only do our own. So when you're in there, it's like, you're just kind of whistling around like uh, Dick Van Dyke did, having a good time and dancing on the on the rooftops of London while you're doing it. Uh, you'll at least have a, you'll have a better time of it. You won't be so susceptible to the, to the creeping insanity. Well, so. it, it's all a state of mind, isn't it? For everybody. And you can label anything however you feel like, but at the end of the day, you're right and, you're, and you know, right to say that, uh, you, you put a positive spin on other things and then you're going to find you're going to find positive answers aren't you you're not going to find positive by thinking negatively and that's for sure so no gotta we've got to aim for the positive outcomes whatever so on, on the next piece of I've, found one of your articles was the tears of sophia or sophia what's in a name anyway and i don't want to so much touch on the article itself but what i did want to ask you about was gnosticism and what are your current views on gnosticism and i'm not talking about obviously the christian version of gnosticism but the the predate of gnosticism so we're talking about the demiurge and the archons and uh, all this kind of stuff that our old friend david ike tends to really play on to an under 
the current of all his work and I'd like to just get your take on on that and, and obviously the at realm as well with Gnosticism kind of plays off it quite a lot as well so yeah just just see what your your views are on and how does that really relate to the situation that we find ourselves in is it relating to it at all or is it just another fantasy at that time I had really um, a lot I'd gotten just found so much profundity in in Gnostic in in the Gnostic right mo- mostly though are from the Christian ones the the uh, the Gnostic gospels and things but they were, what they were really doing is just kind of restating the, the earlier thing in a, in a context that's more approachable you know for, for for a different audience which I think a lot of so-called history is in general but I just really Gnosticism opened presented things that in ways where I had never thought to look kind of at that angle uh, because I was still stuck in dialectics and it was a kind of uh, a process really like I kind of onboarded like there's a, a bit of like a Gnostic way of thought almost and it's kind of a, a refining it's a, a bit of like knowing nail, nail down something you know and then keep going from there right and I had just uh, I had found tremendous tremendous gain from it but I didn't I never loved the rejection of material or the body um, as we might say later and I never loved the idea of invisible or secret forces malevolence or, or necessarily benevolence like it kind of Gnosticism seems almost incomplete you know in, in a lot of ways it, it it explained or it helped me to explain a lot of what I was wondering about and encountering but it was ultimately it kind of led down this road of like not oblivion but detachment from from the known like if my my worldview is that the, the human body is good you know people are you know humans are good things they're not they're not uh, malicious agents uh, against nature they're part of nature the Gnostic view seemed to be that it was like a bit of uh, nature was somewhat unnatural and, and the product of uh, you know the, the secret birth or whatever isn't Gnosticism the original Gnostic Gnosticism, with it going back to this demiurge again, it's, it's kind of stating that uh, nature and the earth itself was created by the demiurge, but uh, the humans, the souls within it, were created by Sophia, weren't they? So it's it's kind of a, I mean, it's not like a playground for the souls, but it's, uh, yeah, it's prison of... might have been one of the words, but I don't feel like life is a prison, you know. So I and, and it kind of has a theology that puts the puts the entities like outside of, you know, if nature is that, what is nature if, if the entity that creates nature isn't part of it then you know what i mean whatever nature is has to encompass all this stuff so this this artificial separation i always had a problem with not like a problem like i'm gonna go fight it but like a problem like uh i, I couldn't ever get past it i couldn't understand why how wh- where do they exist in if not in existence if nature is existence where where are these things in non-existence well that doesn't even make sense so that was that was kind of the limit of it but i i gained from it in that like what i meant in that piece and what i gained from it was sophia's love and what, what she was trying to do was ultimately undermined by like this this um, obsession with like rationalism and uh, scientism and def- and and defining you know this idea that we're gonna we're gonna nail down the the secret natures of all things or whatever and all the secrets of the universe all up by adding more words by putting a label on everything but every label paradoxically has to be defined itself it has to be explained so it always it, it makes this big swell where you know by good intentions sometimes you know monumental movement from that in- intention is what results you know from the circle the point of in the center of the circle the circle expands around it and the circle is just imagine each word expanding the circle a little bit how far away everything is with all the damn words we use now so it's that Sophia was trying to impart this wisdom and love and, and everyone just mucked it up and, and and that we call that progress that was the, the, the other bitter you know irony that we would call uh, that, that people think they're so smart because they know so many words and they can define so many things but in the end they don't know anything they just know how to move the goalposts no I think that's blatantly obvious now after all this time is that uh, nobody knows anything do they really <laughs> not at all about anything i like to pretend they do they tell you what you don't know they like to tell you that oh yes you know? 
That's for sure. I so this last, no more words. This, yeah. this last piece that I picked up on was this black hats and black magic. Of course, this feeds back into the into Crowley talk again. Um, yes, let's get, so I've got uh, the reckless release of magic onto the unsuspecting and uninitiated. Information technology and security and magic have always been and will always be indistinguishable, which is what we touched on prior. But from one another in the eyes of the uninitiated, that much you must always remain clear about. And I've put uh, on my comments there a big explanation please uh, this whole uh, article fascinates me and and it really does I, I thought this was this was my favorite out of the ones i've read yeah it's uh again I, I mean we didn't really touch so much on what you thought of crowleyan magic itself are you really feeding that into this piece or or is this still more of a separate line of thought in your own mind as it were so what i was also trying to do with the uh, with the website was kind of create a portfolio right this was a, another thought of mine was to get together some body of work that would give me uh, or would be like this the skeleton of like credibility you know like i could and then the pur- purpose of that was because i wanted to try to influence the people who were working in these fields and in these technologies um and in intelligence and in security the people who could be reached who were not complete npcs or whatever too, you know, uh, to kind of remind and, and encourage, like, uh, not being swept up in ideas of needing to uh, stop terrorism and stuff, as much as still being a moral agent in, in, in this world, in this, uh, and especially when they had such intimate access to very, very powerful technology. So the idea of this was to, like, kind of, and I, and I knew that just getting a YouTube channel or something like that wouldn't, not only would it take forever, but it would be kind of the slow way about going to it and, and not very, um, significant in the end. So I thought if I could somehow influence the influencers, right, then I could kind of knock knock down a bigger piece and uh, and their influence could spread, you know, descend from that. At that time, like Alistair Crowley, I was reading uh, things about him and his, so much of what he talked about was like just his position, like his status, that people trusted him, you know, people wanted, people wanted his like approval and they wanted his uh, his, his company, but they didn't really want the, the deeper understanding of things that he had. And they wanted maybe his uh, they wanted him to teach them to be magicians or something, but not for the, the higher purposes that, you know, the higher minded purposes that were his, but for their own kind of like, as he says in the top, like the debased kind of uh, desire fulfillment that they've had. Yeah, for their own ends. Yeah, and 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 because that's going to make them ultimately uh, further spiral down the the ladder of immorality, you know. And he at that time was influenced me a lot in that uh, his he was very like concrete about his experience with like IWAS and stuff. He wasn't saying that it was like you know he says he's there. It's a real thing. That this is this higher self is real, and you can contact it. And while whether or not I necessarily believe in that, I admire his, his uh, conviction in saying he did. And he also talked a lot about the kind of like the, the psychic battle, right, in the being on the uh, the bridge over the abyss. These were figurative for me, but whether or not I thought that like there was actually black magic or something in the in the in the computer, no, I didn't. I didn't think these were literally like black magic uh, or any kind of magic, actually, any kind of magical processes going on. But they're indistinguishable, like for most people, when, when their their definitions ultimately get break down anyway. And you know, Crowley's saying that uh, when you when you release this stuff onto people who have no idea where it's coming from, they're going to be potentially victimized by it. So don't do that, you know. Or if you are going to do it, you know, then then own it. But don't say you're doing it for somebody else's good. 
don't be, you know, that kind of, that kind of falsity is also going to lead to, you know, doom. So he was, I, I don't know, just uh, his, his idea about do what thou wilt and love under law at that time was uh, deeply significant for me. I'm still amazed that, that people's thoughts, and especially again, back to the act realm is, is, you know, the views that are still held on Crowley and, you know, it doesn't take much reading really to, to see what he really was, who he was and, and what it was about. So. He was brilliant, you know, and I, 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 uh, I don't know, I just really identified uh, a lot with, with a lot of his, his wants, you know, his want to like. He would have loved the world to be a better place. He would have loved these things. And the people that, that call him uh, the world's wickedest man and stuff, these are the people he just mocks right to their face. So of course, you know, because they're so vacuous and shallow. Yeah, he does. He just takes the piss, doesn't he, completely? It's, <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, just so the other thing I obviously wanted to touch on with you as well was, because uh, I, I just put some images through to you of uh, Sophia herself, who is obviously the a lovely robot android who is citizen of Dubai. And I just wanted to get some brief thoughts for yourself is where where do you actually think robotics and AI is heading where do you think it's going to and possibly over the next 10 years what what do you think we're likely to see see your views on that I think uh, I, predictive programming is a concept people in the act realm I think are pretty familiar with. and I don't know if that's really a thing but there does seem to be you know war, you know warming people's ideas does seem to be a thing and, and if that's what predictive programming is that's fine and that might be what this uh, you know robo head Sophia is, uh, is meant to do giving it citizenship is curious but it is isn't it it's, it's very curious that, that they did that and that that was quite early on when after she'd been created so i think part of the idea is to also to associate like human thinking with ai uh, as, as being like the ai is trying to supplant human thinking or people in a in the field and they don't they don't view them as the same thing you know they, they call it artificial intelligence because they understand that it's not you know human thought it's not like uh, the mirror of human thought it's its own kind of intelligence we we put we associate intelligence with us so we would say that uh, other intelligent things we measure by our standard what intelligence must mean but they have a different definition of it and it works like uh it's really just a system another system they're not trying to recreate humans well i mean hold on let me, let me rephrase that that's a different field in the field but they're trying to build a like a somewhat autonomous or semi-autonomous system that can you know um, can perpetuate itself and work on its own it doesn't mean it's thinking and those people they might use the language but that's not what they mean they mean that it's that it's self-perpetuating it can be uh, within its architecture is the ability to create new tasks for itself based on information it receives based on certain criteria it's really not like uh, just like a human 2.0 that's a whole different animal but what AI is basically is it's just a, a sophisticated way of like parsing data it's, a, it's, it's a, a way that is identified it's a, a system that's able to identify objects that are that share a certain amount of similarities similar markers put them together and then you know along with their opposites make calculations based on that it's just a massive way to do it much more efficiently it's what computers kind of always did but it's just a way to do it more efficiently because so much user data is being input right now that it would be impossible for the uh, old legacy systems to do these things they would have to they, there's too many different points of uh, data stoppage where it has to go there be re repository be processed wait for another wait for another signal go back out it's too slow for what they're trying to do now which is have it everywhere and have all information dynamic at the same time everywhere at the same everywhere everywhere all at the same time all across the world so that there's like one overarching set time and then all other times kind of 
cascade from it. But it's it's really just a, a way of uh, yeah, I mean, of, of, of distributing data, yeah. parsing it. So what decisions are made off that? That's up to again the people who design it. I mean, the, the AI can't decide whether uh, you need to go see the see the uh, oncologist unless it's been programmed to have X number of parameters met equals you know schedule oncologist visit. Totally with you. So so this then segues into the next bit was that you'd listen to my discussion last week that I'd had with JLB on natural intelligence. So what are your current thoughts as to this type of framework? Do you think that the people that we walk amongst are actually NPCs or are you have you got a completely different framework to this? Where do you sit? I'm very interested to find out. I don't put that much value on intelligence to be honest with you. I put more I would I put more value on caring and on love and, and things like that. I don't put that much it's intelligence is kind of low on my valuation chart to be honest with you. But does the does the caring does the caring come from this awareness that can be identified or a human, no matter what the category of person it is, they all seem to work on emotion and feeling, but caring is conscious decision, isn't it? You make a conscious decision to care for something or someone. Now this thing cuts down or back into this MPC programmed person programmed entity well it's it has the idea of the NPC has implications that they're like it's even if it, even if it were true i'm not sure that i'm not sure it would be it would be how i mean how would you know how would you ever know the thing when things can't be known i don't really know where to go with them it's hard for me to say because if you you'll never know and how do you know that you're not someone else's NPC or you use the NPC to someone else i mean these should be in my opinion as soon as we start categorizing other people we ought to really quickly reflect on ourselves and see if we're not guilty of the same things. But this would require some kind of like omniscient awareness of like of how our actions impact other people, even our unconscious actions that we have no idea how they how they impact other people, what they what they think about it, whether we've made their day or, or ruined it, you know, with our with, with how quick we are with our words and our, our dismissals. So it's tough. I mean, if, if there's some kind of metric, I don't know where I'd fall on it. I mean, it all depends on who, who made up the scale. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a fantastic answer, actually. I'm really, really glad you said all that. So thanks for that. If we wanted to go back to um, the thing about the magic real quick too, there was something else I was really looking into at that time. Uh, it was set theory. And then also the idea of like Michael Aquino and the, and the temple of set as this like magical school. Yeah, Michael Aquino's position in, I think, uh, the NSA. So that was set theory a lot of computer logic and, and most modern math is based on set theory and you're talking about the numbers uh, in your piece right the one in yeah we're all in the numbers and so so set is obviously the uh, you know the uncle of Horus and the, the brother of uh, Osiris and the one who dupes Isis into or dupes, dupes Osiris into into dying so this was uh, I saw all these parallels in like these so-called ancient um, magical systems with a lot of language in computing. Daemons and, and uh, software companies called Oracle and, and Python at the computing language. And for, for me, this stuff just couldn't be coincidental, right? There's too many, and, and I didn't believe in coincidence. But that didn't necessarily mean it was deliberate for the reason I thought it might have been. But when you read some of their write, their own writings, you find out that it is. So set theory, though, um, back to that, is like through all this data, you can use set theory to run the simulations, right? Th these, this is what makes the simulations kind of thing viable is the idea that there are all, all things all things are object anything that's identifiable is an object and it's made of other objects right and these things can be marked for example and then all the things that are known go into one set right and within that one set is nearly infinite subset so there's all the people named russ and there's all the people who are 511 there's all the people who are super cool so that'd be my set right but then it'd be like your set which is like 
there, there's a lot of sets. Then in the other set, the zero, as, as demarcated by that, there is the the empty set, right? There's there's the, the product of, the only thing in the empty set, I should say, is the empty set itself. So zero isn't nothing in this system. Zero is the, the empty set itself. All the theories, all the banging together in the in the full set, the one, all these uh, variables and knowns can be banged against each other, and they're, what they produce can be moved over to the uh, to the empty set, either ruled in, ruled out, or ruled in. So this is like the one and the zero, clearly like the binary, the fundamental binary product or binary system. So it's uh, on off, true false, right? It's the it's finite, it's uh, concrete and subjective. The the light is off or it's on. It's day or it's night. You know. It's kind of rough. But when you have those, that certainty of that, you can take so much disparate data and just mash it together in any number of ways with a completely non-value judgment framework. And what comes from it, you just, you know, you can just keep going ad infinitum. And in, in that way, you're somewhat able to determine, not predict the future, but you could tell what certain trends are, you know, what's happening now, what would emerge if X and Y were to happen? And then if Y and Z were to happen, but what if Q and P were to happen, something else would happen. So if you're in the position to introduce the variables into the system, that stuff's really valuable, right? And we're also told through the act realm that, well, in uh, contemporary history, that the high priests occupied, uh, and sorcerers occupied a high position in every civilization and culture. Prior to this one, of course, because in the modern age, my gosh, we're so we're so far advanced past that crap that I roll my eyes. But the, uh, so I, I found those things to be parallels too, you know, those things to be similar enough that for me, I could make a, a bit of like a, a narrative or a paradigm where, where, where that was kind of still happening. And I still kind of just see a lot of uh, a lot of reasoning or a lot of evidence for it. If Crowley says that black magic is, is, is fulfilling your own selfish desire by whatever means necessary, regardless of the outcome, and it's going to ultimately come back and destroy you. You know, we have like, uh, this is like the the mindless or the, or the rabid attempt to, to combat terrorism or something, for example, something nebulous, but a lot of well-meaning people are involved in it. But in the end, you know, they're ultimately fulfilling their own, you know, fulfilling their own desire, their own dark-hearted design. When these things begin to instantiate, like in real life, you know, the, the consequences of them, they're going to have an accumulating effect. You know, it's it's not, people can't be exposed to so much media, for example, in order to, they can't send the signal of media out in order to get all these signals back in so that they can get new variables and new certainties to run further and further experiments or whatever. You can't keep doing this with the idea that something good is going to come out of it. It doesn't necessarily mean something bad is going to come out of it, but the idea that something good is going to come out of it kind of starts to diminish. You know, the, the more you, uh, the more you wash the shirt, the redder it's not going to become. This is, uh, I saw that, in, and then the parallels at that time to what I was looking into as far as like culture creation and the military's role in that stuff and Michael Aquino's role in the Temple of Set and his uh, Church of Satan and the magical systems involved in that. That was, that was quite a bit of that stuff. And, but so the one and the zero again, but it's just the binary, right? The 10, I mean, it's, it went all the way back and made so much sense. But everything in the universe, everything in the universe can, a one and a zero, some combination of those things can, to the extent that a thing is describable uh, with language, then that, then that's, uh, then it can be but with the one and the 10. I mean, the one and the zero, the 10. In all things known, knowable, you know, that would be, that goes right back to the, seemed pretty small for a whole universe, you know? It seemed pretty, just a, just the simplest little thing, the one and the zero. Jesus says, I'm the alpha and the omega, you know, the beginning and the end, that all things uh, must already kind of exist in some way uh, in order for, for them to be ex 
successive ever. They don't come out of, they don't blink into existence out of nowhere, out of nothingness. They must be somewhere. This is maybe in a different form. And, uh, you know, maybe that's what the Gnostics were talking about with the prison of the world. Maybe that was it. I think you might be right. And that's a, a fantastic analogy to end on, my friend. So we've done about an hour and a half, and that's absolutely fantastic. So thank you very much for joining me on Project Monolith. Oh, man, my pleasure. My pleasure. I hope it wasn't too much like the Almond Brothers. Absolutely fantastic, my friend. That's absolutely brilliant. Thanks, man. I'd like to thank my guest, Original Simulant. This has been Take No Gnosis. I hope you join me again for episode three of Project Monolith coming soon. So goodbye for now. <laughs>